comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. Who are you? My name is Pussy Galore. I must be dreaming. had a little bit of a delay in getting to episode three, although we did say that the podcast probably wouldn't be monthly, but John, I said gold finger, not gold member. Aha. <laughs> now we're going to have to, uh, we're going to have to be more clear in the future. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I, I was, now it, it, it kind of explains the confused emails I was getting about plot points and characters and, and things like that. Such a good movie. <laughs> but I mean, hey, April, May, June, July, whatever. Yes, yes. It sounds like the new Bond film uh was delayed a little bit anyway, so we I, have some time. Yes, we have plenty of time uh, yeah. to get caught up. Uh but this is Shaken Not Stirred, episode three, our conversation on Goldfinger, as we as we as we said. Yes. Um happy to be back. But we've had a lot of content out on the site, so it's not like you haven't heard from us. Many times in the past couple of months. Many, many, many times. Yeah. So Goldfinger. So, again, this is kind of one of those top-tier Bond movies. Um, pretty highly regarded overall. Very well-recepted. You know, typically in the, I'd say, probably top five or, you know, certainly top ten of, of Bond movies uh, of all time. Yeah, I would agree. I again, I'm not as schooled as you. I, I can't uh, think of many more that I've seen past, you know, these that we're watching now. But th this is the solid area, right? These last couple that we've done are, have been really good, and I know it, you know, wavers a little bit from uh, on the path that we will take. But these have been really good. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I tend to agree with the the critics and the audience and the and everyone else uh, on this one. This is this is probably I, I won't say it's my favorite, um, and I think a lot of that just has to do with the fact that it was made in 1964 and not in the modern age. But it, this definitely holds up in probably my top five bomb movies of all time, easily. Yeah, it's uh, uh we'll do ratings later. Yes, yes, we will. Um, I guess I'll I'll talk a little bit about numbers and time frames and when it was released and all that good stuff and and before we get started. Uh, so this one had a had a it was more narrowly released between the U.S. and the U.K. Uh, you know, prior to this, there there been quite a gap between, uh, you know, the U.K. release would always be first, and then several months later, uh, they we get the U.S. release, which kind of led to this. Um, I think Doctor No and From Russia with Love were both. Uh, kind of released in the same in the same year which is kind of odd um you know just because of the delay between the two markets uh so this one was released in the UK on September 17th of 64 and released in the US in, on December 21st of 64 
Uh, so pretty close together. Um, very well received. Uh, the domestic box office on this was $55 million back in 1964. And that includes, I think a year later, they did a re-release um, with a kind of double feature with Dr. No. Um, so that kind of gave it a little more juice. And then the foreign gross with all of its markets and re-releases and stuff, I got a total of $73.8 million. So it, it's hovering right like all time, $129 million on a budget of $3 million, which, Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you look at that total gross nowadays, and it's like, wow, you know, most movies wouldn't be anywhere profitable. But uh, on a budget of $3 million, which is the previous two movies combined, and when you... When when this one starts, when Goldfinger starts, it, it's kind of apparent, or at least it, it was apparent to me, you know, watching it with you know today's eyes as opposed to the eyes of a of a kid, uh, you could definitely tell the budget's been amped up with this one as opposed to the previous two. Just in um, cinematography, there's a lot of like you know crane shots and you know helicopter shots that look like that they were using, whereas in the in in the previous ones it was pretty standard, a lot of model shooting and and you know uh, green screening and things like that. They're definitely toying with some new techniques that that weren't quite polished. Yes. Uh, I noticed a, at least two car crashes that were kind of like, I don't know, stop motion-y all of a sudden. Yeah. It was like watching Claymation for a second. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of those speed-up effects. I mean, even, I think there's a, there's a spot when Bond, like when he comes out of the water in, in the diving suit and he like takes the mask off and flip and turns around before he gets out of the water it's it's like this sped up you know real quick uh you know footage but yeah we see that a lot with the car crashes where you could tell they definitely uh were speeding up the camera to show that to give the effect of speed as opposed to really just having things move that quick uh but this the other thing with this one is this kind of set the pace uh you know we saw that there was like the you know what we call the cold open in from Russia with love, but it wasn't really Bond. It was like it, it was it was somebody you know pretending to be Bond. So they were kind of setting up you know how uh, you know how they would go after him. And this is the first one where we see Bond actually like on a mission, you know, prior to the to the start of the movie, um, you know, and kind of have have that you know sometimes it's related, sometimes it's not related uh, to the to the main story. Uh, you know, the whole thing with the gadgets. Um, you know, the kind of the villain being much larger than life with, you know, Goldfinger and Oddjob and, and things like that that we haven't seen with uh, Dr. No and from Russia with Love. Yeah, and so much, again, I think we said it a lot with Dr. No as well, so much is lifted from this movie. Oh, yeah. You know, in, in homage or just in, you know, copycats, you know, how many spies have we seen get out of water in a wetsuit and zip it off and have the tuxedo underneath to join in a party. Yeah, true li true lies kind of comes to comes yeah. to mind whenever I think of that right off. And then just the whole gadget thing, you know, him him going to see Q in his lab where we see the crazy, you know, the parking meter that shoots the gas, the the bulletproof vest that he says isn't quite perfected yet, you know, we get you know all the all the crazy stuff that, you know, that becomes a staple for most of the movies. Uh, moving forward, where he he visits Q's laboratory or his his testing grounds and and sees everything, and Q just kind of uh, admonishes him for not bringing his equipment back, you know, without it being all jacked up or destroyed or whatever. Right. 
And is this the first, I forget, again, it's been a while since we've recorded. I, I think you mentioned last time that they weren't calling him Q. It was like the Q branch. Right, right. And now he is officially Q, I think, in this movie. Yes, yeah. So this is this is kind of what sets that, that off. Um, and the last time he brought the stuff to him, like, you know, the whole, last time it was mainly the briefcase. And so Q, you know, Q branch or Q brought the briefcase to him in M's office and kind of went through everything. This is the first time, like I said, he goes down into the, you know, into the basement and looks at all the cool stuff. And of course, this is the first time we see the Aston Martin DB5, which again kind of becomes a staple on and off. I mean, it kind of went away during the Roger Moore years. You know, he kind of moved away from the Aston Martin and then they brought it back. I want to say Timothy Dalton used it in The Living Daylights. He had a version, you know, like a more modern Aston Martin. Uh, and then, of course, in Casino Royale, uh, Daniel Craig used, what was it, the Aston Martin, the Vanquish, that really crazy expensive Aston Martin high-end sports car. And then, and then of course, in Skyfall, they, they brought it, you know, the classic DB5 uh, back with all the, the cool stuff. Um, yes. And, you know, the Aston Martin DB5, it's kind of the quintessential Bond vehicle i mean it's got you know the machine guns and the oil slicks and the uh you know the the smoke screens and the bulletproof everything and the ejector seat you know again all stuff that we've seen uh in movies you know copied uh, you know moving forward and then even in video games like the the spy hunter <laughs> yeah the spiked wheels i'm thinking of uh i'm sorry i'm thinking also of cannonball run which is kind of funny because you know, it's it's Roger Moore playing himself, yes. but he thinks he's James Bond. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and there's the whole gag with the ejector seat and, you know, all that. Yeah. I was going to say, the, the grappling gun looked a little hokey to me, almost like they couldn't quite get it to work right, so it almost seemed like off-screen somebody kind of threw it up there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and then, of course, the squeeze tube C4 I thought was kind of cool. Yeah, definitely a step forward for the gadgets. You know, they brought in a bunch last movie, and I'm sure they thought that that was a big success, and, you know, which it was. It was cool, the briefcase and the hidden compartments and everything, so this is probably where they start amping them up, I would imagine, for every movie. Yeah, and again, it not, I mean, the car is way over the top, but it, but it's cool. You know, at that, you know, we've never really seen anything like that before, uh, you know, so that's kind of the, the beginning of it, so it's it's just kind of cool, and it, it's, it, like, logically makes sense that you trick this car out with all this cool stuff. You know the the other stuff he doesn't really have. That's that's you know they didn't outfit him personally with a lot of crazy stuff. I mean the the tracker is is kind of neat. You know with the with the the small model and the larger model that he uses to to chase Goldfinger around. And then the uh, I love how they show like when he's waiting for that uh, that C four to detonate. Uh, they, you know, they show his watch, and of course, it's a Rolex. So again, you know, the, everything with Bond is uh, top of the line, high end. You know, sophisticated. Uh, you know, he doesn't play around. Uh, we get a new Felix lighter this time around, because again, Jack Lord wanted a whole boatload of money, and they didn't want to pay him, so they found somebody else. Which it it kind of becomes almost comical that. You know, Felix Leiter is just one of those characters that just gets recast over and over and over again as the franchise moves forward. Yeah. Yeah, sorry to break it to you. Uh, nobody really cares who plays Felix, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Maybe take a little less money or, you know, 
I don't even think I noticed, you know, like, I don't know the character well enough yet, I guess, to realize that they keep switching him on me, so. Yeah. And he doesn't show up a ton. I mean, I guess there's been, what, 23 Bond movies, and he showed up maybe six or eight times, tops. You know, I mean, he's not, like I said, he's not in every movie or even, you know, every other movie, Um, but but he does show up here and there. Um, they definitely uh, kicked up a notch, in my opinion, on on the babes. I mean, when he shows up at that hotel in Miami or whatever, it's like there's chicks everywhere. <laughs> yes, it's it's almost like they just they knew. Okay, this is this is what brings people in, or this is you know this is one of the things that brings people in, and they just like turn the knob up on on this one quite a bit. Yeah, and even besides the you know, the uh, the extras at the pool and stuff like that. There are a solid, you know, three or four women that play big roles in this movie. Yeah. For sure. And I'm sure when we when we talk about our ratings we'll we'll get into to that as well. And of course what so one of the other things I have in my notes is again to talk about, you know, the Rolex watch and, you know, him driving an Aston Martin. You know, when he has Joe Masterson in his room he orders, you know, Dom Perignon, which, you know, of course only the best. Right for for James Bond, I like. I mean, Goldfinger. You know, when you just think of the name, it just sounds way over the top. And uh, I I think Gert Frobe did a really good job playing that character. Although his voice, again, his voice was dubbed over as as a lot of uh, these actors for whatever reason in this time period tend tend to have their their voices dubbed. But uh, but I like kind of the cat and mouse between the two of them. You know. In the beginning, when Bond realizes that he's cheating the guy out of playing gin rummy, you know he kind of gets even with that. When they play golf, he realizes he's cheating at golf and kind of gets even with them. Um, and you know the two of them when he's chasing him uh, or following him, you know when he gets in the car and everything. I, I just kind of like that cat and mouse with the main villain that we, you know, sometimes it's, they're just so over the top and it's just, you know, the villain captures Bond, throws him in a dungeon somewhere, decides not to kill him, tells him his whole plan, and then, you know, Bond comes back and, you know, thwarts the plan. And this one was kind of cool because we get kind of that cat and mouse that we'll, we'll see a little bit more of that moving forward too, as a, as opposed to just the, you know, just the villain acting, uh, you know, as a, as a background piece. Yeah, I did enjoy that aspect of it, like you said, the cat and mouse. It does, it seemed a little strange to me at first that we're taking this big villain seriously, you know, that Bond has been sent in to find out about this Goldfinger guy and all everything that he's up to. And the guy's, like, got this elaborate plan to cheat for, like, a few thousand bucks at cards. Yeah. You know, like, it just didn't seem to ring true. I mean, I guess you could say, well, he's just such an you know, an egotistical maniac and he just wants to beat people and see what he can get away with constantly. Like, I guess you could sell me on that, but it seemed kind of petty, you know, just cheating some guy at the hotel and he's got like, you know, this whole elaborate set up and stuff. Yeah, shit, yeah, I agree. Um, I thought uh, one of the things that was funny was when they when they capture Bond um, after, you know, kind of after the, the, the big car chase and uh, they take him. They're kind of taking him to that warehouse area, and he's he's driving the car. And then they roll up, and there's that. Uh, they come to that. Uh, it's a. Uh, I guess it's a gate, and the old lady comes out, 
and yeah. and she just like <laughs> opens the gate and then goes back in and then when it all starts hitting the fan she comes running out with this machine gun that's about to knock her backward as she fires it I, I just again I think that's one of those things I, I can't really place it right now but that's one of those things too I think that that's been um you know cloned as well like the unsuspecting old lady that really um you know has the gun under the desk kind of thing yeah um but I thought I thought that was kind of kind of funny I, there was some um, interesting, I don't want to, not acting choices, but some interesting performances <laughs> when <laughs> when you take uh, Tinny Masterson, Tanya Mallet, Mallet, I don't know how you say that. Uh, there's a pretty funny scene where she's, she's sniping uh, at night and then he finally catches her and, you know, it's like... What are you doing? I'm going to kill him. What do you, what do you, yeah. What do you mean you're going to kill him? I hate him. He tried to kill my sister. It was just like a very awkward dialogue scene. Yeah. Yeah. She, yeah. I wasn't real convinced of her delivery. It just, yeah, I agree. It's, it seemed really off um, as well. And the mobsters. Yeah. Yeah. That band of mobsters. They just <laughs> must have been like, hey, we need somebody that looks Italian and we need somebody with a Chicago accent and we need somebody with uh Yeah. Yeah, a bit clunky. Yeah, very like stereotypical, way over the top. Um, oh, you know, I'd say more corny than it was anything else. Like, um, almost like out of a '30s gangster movie. Right. Yeah. 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 There were a lot of stereo, like heavy stereotypical, like old school. You know, I mean the 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 Asian minions that are running around yes. in those, <laughs> those yes. little blue suits and. And uh, I don't know that odd job is stereotypical. I mean, they made him not, you know, they made him a, not be able to speak at all. So it's not like he had like a real corny accent or. Or they had a white anything. guy, white guy playing an Asian guy, you know, that, that kind of deal. Yeah. And the hat's cool. You know, again, it's just one of those quintessential Bond villain things. You know, when you think of Bond villains, odd job is, is always kind of one at the top with the, you know, razor you know, razor sharp hat. Yeah. This movie wasn't kind to the Masterson sisters at all. They, they, uh, they didn't fare so well. No. Uh, And are we supposed to believe, and I think he, I think he kind of explains this. I know they explain something about the gold. Like if you, let me, let me just backtrack when she's completely, covered in in gold in the bed are we supposed to believe that she's like actually covered in gold and she's like a frozen statue now or is she like dead and just spray painted gold like as a message yeah no i i think i took it as she was painted with gold paint like with paint with real gold in it um to kind of prove a point yeah i don't think she's like Frozen, as in, you know, she's been dipped in gold. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I didn't think so, but when you're dealing with some of the stuff that's in these movies, you know, the early ones, you're like, oh, they might try to make you believe that she's dipped in gold. But, <laughs> but I think there's a line, and I kind of half caught it. He's explaining to M, I think, about yes. what happened, and he's like, if you leave a certain area open, the skin can breathe, or something. Was that? complete bs <laughs> okay all right yeah it, it's it's one of those things that like i when the writers are coming up it's like well it sounds good you know who's who's gonna who's gonna know but yeah it's complete 
It's complete nonsense. Oh it's, no, I'm, yeah, I'm I'm sure it was BS, but I, I think that's how they were explaining the paint yes. or whatever. Or, okay. Yes. That basically, if they were, you know, if they were trying to send a message without killing her, they could have left this spot at the base of the at the base of her uh, back that would have allowed her skin to breathe and she would be alive. But uh, I don't know. Have you ever seen the MythBusters episode where they tried to uh, recreate it to see if it if it if it would really work? No. Yeah, they had uh, what's her face the the female on MythBusters. Um, they actually spray painted her with gold paint. And they did it twice because the first time when they did it, like, I guess maybe she was freaking out, like, claustrophobic because, like, really? her blood pressure started to go up and she was having trouble, you know, just kind of almost hyperventilating. And I think it was just the claustrophobia or, or more than anything. But um, but it was kind of it was kind of odd. And then they did it. They found somebody else to to go through the process. And it had, like, no impact whatsoever. Like, they did it. And, and she was just, like, completely fine. I, I get a kick out of um, James Bond's judo skills. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a fight early on. I can't remember who uh, it's against, but it's one of the it's one of the first fights, and uh, he's like the guy's like swinging at him, and Bond like grabs his leg, and then he's like yeah. twisting the leg, and then he's like stepping over it, and he's twisting the ankle. Like yeah. it was just so awkward. Yeah, that that was the like the pre the the cold open, as it were, the guy he was fighting where he, he sees the reflection in the uh, in oh in the, the girl's woman. eye. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, did you think she was in on it because she wasn't reacting at all when the guy? Yeah, came oh, in. No, I'm sure she was in on it. Yeah. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah. I wasn't sure because then, of course, he throws her in harm's way. Yes. <laughs> so I was like, was that really cold blooded, or did he know? You know, at that point, he put two and two together, or whatever. And both. <laughs> yeah. Definitely both. It, yeah, the whole and the premise is kind of uh, the premise of the whole movie is kind of uh, kind of convoluted. It's it's one of those things you kind of have to pay attention to figure out what's exactly going on. And it's kind of funny. In today's world, it it has less meaning. Like, I could see if you were in your, like, 20s or even, I guess, maybe early 30s and watching this, you'd probably be like, well, I don't get it. Like, what's the big deal? But, um, you know, since the, the, the U.S. is not on the gold standard anymore for currency, um, our money is basically backed based on uh, our faith in the or lack thereof in the government. Um, that you know, gold moving around nowadays is not the same as gold moving around back in 1964. Right. Absolutely. Uh, but you know, the whole concept of you know, they're kind of you know, g the value of the dollar is based on how much gold bullion that it had that they have, and if they don't know how much gold is around in the world, then that would obviously cause a fluctuation. So, you know, clandestine moving of gold would, uh, you know might might cause a problem or at least make people concerned that there's some sort of manipulation going on um and then the fact that he was just going to irradiate it was kind of cool um my dad it's kind of funny my dad in the i guess it's probably at this point late probably 69 70 uh maybe 68 when he was in the army uh for a short period of time he was actually stationed in Fort Knox and uh there's stuff in I forget I, obviously he couldn't go into the depository <laughs> <laughs> um, but in and around the the fort, uh, Fort Knox, there's stuff. They have like pl a plaque up somewhere that just basically like uh, from the producers that you know giving the the 
arm, you know, the federal government and the army, their thanks for the filming of the movie. There's like some plaque with um, acknowledging that they actually film bits and pieces in and around Fort Fort Knox uh, there on site. So that was kind of cool. My dad told me he saw that at one point. Very cool. But the movie itself was pretty tight. Like, you know, there wasn't, you know, again, it was, I guess, an hour, 50 minutes or so. And, you know, it moved along pretty well. There wasn't any parts in it where you were just kind of, uh, you know, getting bored or feel like, you know, that they, they needed to kind of move things along. At least I I didn't. I thought, I thought it was kind of plotted fairly tightly. Yeah, and I tell you, one one thing that helped, not that I thought it was moving slowly or, or, uh, or anything like that, but... The entrance of Pussy Galore, which I could barely say with a straight face, uh, you know, she doesn't show up until, I don't know, maybe the halfway point, maybe a little bit before the halfway point. Yeah. And it's kind of like a whole new, you know, well, who's this now? Yes. <laughs> you know, and it and it really uh, picks up. And she's she has a pretty good screen presence and the, you know, <laughs> the crazy flying circus with the army of blonde pilots and yes. stuff. I mean, it's just wild, but. Like I said, just bringing her in a little late gave you something new to, you know, wonder about her. Yeah, and she was kind of an, you know, an odd choice. She doesn't look quite so old as as I've become an older man <laughs> uh, in my forties. But I remember as a, you know, as a kid and a teenager, thinking, "Wow, that that lady looks a lot older than the other ladies." Um, but it was kind of a bold choice for a Bond movie. You know, they're they're kind of famously known for casting younger, like twenty somethings, maybe uh, you know, early thirties, especially in in the in the earlier movies. Um and Honor Blackman was like thirty seven uh, when this was cast. So she was definitely kind of like an older um you know, kind of a Bond girl, if you will, uh, in this one. But I, I I find her more attractive uh Looking at her now with with like I said with a more mature man's eyes than than uh, than a younger man's eyes. Sure, another great judo fight. Yes, Pussy Galore and James Bond in a barn. Yes, <laughs> before the proverbial roll in the hay. Yeah, a lot of uh, metaphors and double entendres. As I mean that that's kind of the James Bond thing, but but I mean as a kid. Like I couldn't say that name with the like. There's no way. Like I just, you know, it's it's just kind of funny. Like I always felt like as a kid watching Goldfinger, I was like getting away with something. Yeah. <laughs> like. Yeah. Same thing with Octopussy. <laughs> exactly. And that was the title of the movie, for God's sake. It's almost like you felt like embarrassed to say it. It's like, man, I don't even know if I could say the name of this movie that I want to see. It's so overt. Like there's no, there's no explanation. I mean, like, yeah. men are named Dick. <laughs> yes. You know, like, you can have a character named Dick and, well, his name's Richard. Everybody calls him Dick, you know, and hide behind that. Yes. You know, there is nobody named Pussy <laughs> <laughs> except, except this character. Yes. Yeah, it's just so, it's so absurd. Um, even, like, the marketing and stuff. They thought for a while of, like, if the censors were really going to have a problem of... um of of changing the name to Kitty Galore, and uh, which is kind of funny in and of itself. Um, yeah, but they opted not to it. But like, I guess the American censors wouldn't allow them to put that name in the marketing materials and stuff like that. It you know it was fine to have it in the movie itself, 
you know, because this is like before the ratings, you know, this is before the MPAA and everything. I mean, movies weren't, I don't, I don't think movies were even rated back then. I mean, it, they're just, you know, they had to go through censors and things either passed or didn't pass, but. Uh, and the last name doesn't help. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, Pussy Smith. Yes. You know, <laughs> less interesting. Yes, but. Maybe you could get away with it a little more easily, but they got away with it. So, pussy yeah. galore it is. Yeah, couldn't couldn't do it now. Oh no, 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 which no, no. is amazing. You know, when you think about it. Yeah, it's like reverse uh, progress. Or, yes, <laughs> or yeah. something. Yeah, and then of course we get the you know when she says her name, you know Bond says I must be dreaming. You know, <laughs> yeah, you know he's mirroring the audience at that <laughs> at that point. Um. But we'll get the, there's there's plenty of others in the Bond universe that uh, Bond babes that have really uh, interesting names that we'll see later on when we get to um, uh, to Diamonds Are Forever. There's there's a there's a good one, <laughs> uh, and there's a good retort by Connery after that. But uh, it's funny you were talking about the judo stuff uh, and and how kind of odd and hokey it it seems at times. Wait till we get to. Uh, you only live twice when he goes to Japan and is actually training uh, with the Japanese. Uh, that that that's very interesting. Uh, when we get get that far, uh, I thought the aerial stuff was kind of cool. Like when you know when the kind of the plot comes out and we and it's it's Pussy Galore's flying circus. You know the the blonde pilot babes that are gonna spray. Uh, you know, with the gas and knock out all the soldiers so that they can kind of drive right in. I, I, you know, between the score and the and the shooting and just the way that they kind of flew in formation and stuff like that, I, I thought all that stuff worked really well. I mean, it was kind of a cool sequence to, uh, you know, a little corny, you know, with the dialogue and everything, but but still, it just was kind of cool the way they filmed all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a spot where you can tell they had a little more budget and, and got to play around and. Yeah, a- apparently. I guess they were only supposed to they they got permission to fly around Fort Knox but they only got permission to fly at like 3000 feet and I guess when they were doing when they were actually making the movie um they kind of just said yeah this isn't going to work so they ended up flying at about 500 feet and apparently uh the generals or whoever was in charge of uh of uh, Fort Knox just like blew a gasket and <laughs> you know it's amazing they didn't get you know shot down or something yeah, like that Yeah really um, but I guess Cubby Bercali is like friends with one of the generals or something like that. That was like high up at Fort Knox or some, some crazy thing like that, that, uh, that got them the permission to do that in the first place. It's all about who, you know. Yep. How about that crazy bomb? Yes. <laughs> when they finally opened it up, it's got like pinwheels inside yeah. it and yeah. Yeah. It, and then, uh, I guess Q shows up and pulls the plug or hits the off switch or <laughs> something yeah really simple yeah and it's funny of course of course it stops at at 007 and i guess originally it stopped it at three seconds and then when they i guess when they screened it they looked and said no it would make more sense for it to stop at seven seconds because it's zero zero seven um so even though it says do- it says 007 on the timer he actually says three more ticks and we would have you know being a goner or something like that. So they didn't, oh wow, yeah, they didn't change the dialogue. They just changed, uh, changed the display on the timer. You know, in the edit. So I thought that was kind of funny. Hmm. Uh, and then of course another 
Mythbusters uh, scene was the the whole bit at the end with the plane. I think they tried to do like explosive decompression, and I think they busted that one too. But uh, but you know, again, it's kind of the we'll we'll see that as kind of the staple of the Bond thing, where you think the villain's been dispatched, and then you know everything's kind of calm, and then you, Bond goes off with the uh, you know, with the the heroine, and then you know, boom, the villain or the villain's henchmen show back show up at the end for like one final confrontation, right? Um, um, and so this one is is Goldfinger getting sucked out of the plane, which I thought was kind of kind of cool. Yeah, I like the demise of Oddjob. You know, they yes. didn't they didn't cheapen him. No, he was kicking Bond's tail. In. Yes, and uh, it went on for a little bit. It kind of reminded me of like Bane. In uh Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just kind of unstoppable force or, or whatever. And uh he had a better death than Bane though. I like the uh you know, they show you the, the hat cutting the wire earlier in the fight and then Bond's kinda getting his tail kicked around and then uh odd job goes to remove the hat from the metal gate or, or uh whatever it was and, and so Bond takes the wire off the ground and electrocutes the gate and fries odd job. Yeah. The, the second electrocution of the of the movie. That's right. <laughs> he knocks the the heat lamp or whatever that is into. Oh the, right, that's yeah, that's, that's a right. Tub at the beginning. And again, we got some more Bond, many money, penny M interaction that that was you know funny as well. You know, just again, kind of keeping the the flirtation between them, and then M, you know, realizing that's what's going on, and him chiming in on. Uh, on what Bond's supposed to be doing, I I always I always like those little uh, little scenes like that. Yeah, that was a a nice little addition because even as much as I love the interaction uh, with Bond and Money Penny, I almost started to say, "All right, here we go again." And then M cues in, and he, it's almost like he's the audience. Yeah, it's kind of like the audience saying, "We're on to you guys," you know. Yeah, get a move on so we can continue the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like the part, um, so he's escaping, and he uses the oil slick, and so the uh, the minions fly off the cliff. Yes. And that wasn't enough. They have to spontaneously combust. Yes, yes. <laughs> in midair. Yeah, I actually have that in my notes, <laughs> the, the car explosion. <laughs> it's like, we have all this money to blow stuff up. Let's. We're not just going to have them fly off the cliff. No, 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 no. And then the bit with him in the in the Aston Martin was kind of cool, where there was that mirror that was set up to see around the corner because everything was such tight corners, and it blinded him. And then he ended up crashing the car into the uh, into the building, and it all kind of fell on him. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah. was a little odd. But and then we had a switch in directors for this one. Um, so Guy Hamilton came on to direct this one, and he'll actually direct several more. Bond movies in the franchise. I mean, Live, Live and Let Die. I think he directed um, Diamonds Are Forever, so he'll he'll come back and and do some more as well. And then Richard Maybaum did the script again for this one, so that's the third time he did the script. And of course, John Barry did the music. Uh, and this is the first time that Barry wrote. I mean, obviously he's he's co-credited with the the Bond theme and and kind of actually putting the the actual orchestration towards it, but. Um, he actually wrote the theme song that that Shirley Bassey sang in the movie. So this is kind of like, for him, it, it was like the first time he'd done everything related to music from top to bottom. 
Yeah, and they went to it a lot. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's the first time we kind of seen that too, you know, where and we that happens a lot in in the more modern movies. I mean, even even if you look back at like Casino Royale and Skyfall, um, you know, a lot of the you know, kind of the driving music, I'll call it, you know, especially when they're moving from point A to point B, uh, you know, they kind of take an orchestral variation on on whatever the theme song is to kind of weave it into the movie and then usually add a little of the the standard Bond theme into into the into the piece as well. So again, a lot of like, you know, what we quintessentially think of as a Bond movie had its origins in this one. You know, a lot of the things that we'll see, you know, moving forward for the next, you know, 19 movies or so or, you know, all kind of, you know, a lot of those seeds were laid in this one. One thing I noticed that repeated itself in this movie, and I, and I don't know if it, it's something that pops up uh, as you go along, but um, at the end of this movie, he and uh, Bond and uh, Pussy Galore are sort of stranded, and, you know, they're waiting to be saved, and uh, Bond basically says, you know, don't call the helicopter yet because we have to have sex now. Yes. Um, and it was very similar to the end of Dr. No when Honey Rider and Bond are in the raft. Yep. And they're sort of like, forget, we don't need to be saved right now. We're going to have sex. Yes. So I don't know if <laughs> if that's something that pops up at the end of a bunch of Bond movies. Pretty or... much. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's that's pretty much a a standard a standard thing. I think maybe, I guess Casino, Casino Royale, that wasn't the case. And Skyfall, that wasn't the case. You know, in more recent memory but yeah that becomes a trope in almost uh in almost all of them is the whole yeah they're gonna yeah and even in from russia with love they were in the boat and they were getting towed by the coast guard and you know he he undoes the uh the the, all right rope on the boat yeah the other thing i noticed this is like an early version of what i'll call product placement i don't know if you noticed that ford kind of had a pretty big Pretty big showing in this movie. I mean, we saw... <clears throat> so this movie came out in 64, and it 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 had a Ford Mustang convertible that um, that Jill Masterson's sister was driving. And that was that was the first year that the, the Mustang was available, um, you know, commercially to, to buy. No, I didn't. I didn't notice. Yeah. Um, and then... I mean, I guess I, I recognized it was a Mustang, but I guess I didn't think of it as a uh, product placement. Yeah, and then... Like as he's driving along at one point, I think it was when Felix and and the other CIA guy are driving along. There's like a Ford dealership that's like really prominent as they're oh. as they're driving, <laughs> and then the Lincoln. I guess the Lincoln is the is the car that they smashed up that they put the um the mobster in and had had it crushed. Right, right, right. Um, and I guess in order for them to get that Lincoln, I guess they got from Ford the Lincoln and they they agreed to to showcase the Mustang. So it was kind of like a like a swap deal there. So that's kind of why right. we see her with that Mustang. Funny. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. One thing I have on my notes, um, the communicator in the shoe. Yes. 
is sort of something that's been copied. And, and I mean, again, a lot of this stuff is in, is in like homage, but like I always, you know, the phone, sh- the, the shoe phone from get smart. Sure. Yeah. You know, it's all kind of along the same lines. Um, you know, maybe it's more of a parody than, yeah. Than actually copying, you know, even like inspector gadget, you know, in the eighties had a bunch of things like that. And- sure. And I guess if you, if you took it, one step farther in Batman Begins when Batman has the that's that bat sonar thing that he shoves onto the heel of his shoe right so yeah concealing gadgets and shoes <laughs> is a long history as well and I did love the scene on the plane at the end um, where the Asian woman is trying to spy on him and he keeps like He'll hang his shirt in front of the peephole, and yes. he opens his briefcase in front of the other peephole, and then I think he yes. shoots shaving cream on the two-way mirror. So what else? What else do you have? Do you have anything else, or do we want to get into to the numbers? Um, just looking at my notes, I think we got most of it. I have, uh, you know, what a bad shot that um that Tilly Masterson was when she's trying to shoot like past the cliff yeah. and hit Goldfinger and she almost hits Bond. And it's funny because when it happens, I said, why is she trying to shoot Bond? Yeah. And then they actually, he actually asks her that question. Right. Later on. So it, you know, it clears it up. Um, I guess they were just trying to show that she wasn't like any kind of professional at all. Like she was just trying to, re- you know, get revenge for her sister. Right. Um, which is strange that a non-professional would have a rifle briefcase with her name uh, initials monogrammed on it. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah. Otherwise, I think that's it for me. I think so. I think we we about covered the the bulk of it. So now we'll get into the to the part of the show where we we talk about our ratings to give us an overall score. And this one did really well. I mean, again, we kind of teased that at the beginning, but, you know, as we rate things based on the criteria we've defined as what makes a Bond movie a Bond movie, um, we'll see in the end where this thing fleshes out. So, again, like the first two, this one gets the uh, the, the plus two bonus of being a Connery Bond movie as opposed to being uh, one of the other actors. So we get two points right off for that. Um, and again, if you're not familiar, if this is the first show you're listening to, um, John and I came up with some criteria that we have determined makes a good Bond movie. Um, whether or not anyone else agrees is uh, irrelevant to this. <laughs> um, we've just decided that when we think of Bond movies, this is what we think of as 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 needing to to be there uh, to do that. And each one of us get, is rated our criteria out of ten, um, and there's there's five. Uh, there are five points of, of judging that we're doing out of ten, and then there's room for bonuses, like we said, who plays Bond, and then uh, some other items that we'll that we'll cover later. So, um, sort of that. So for the for the Bond girls, for the for the women, um, it looks like you and I agreed on this one. I gave this one a nine, um, and it, it it doesn't get much. I mean, you know, we we talked about it in the beginning when they're at Miami Beach and. You know, you're just seeing, you know, tons of, of hot chicks and bikinis everywhere. You know, that, that definitely um, adds to the, to the factor. 
but when you look at like Shirley Eaton, uh, who isn't in it very often, but again, when you think of Bond, you know what what they term Bond girls, um, you know Shirley Eaton is definitely you know cream of the crop, top of the list, um, and and the whole being her her nude body covered in gold paint uh, certainly adds to that. And then Honor Blackman again, I, I think a, a solid a solid choice as as Pussy Galore. I, I think the name alone gives that an extra point um, on the rating. Yeah, and you know what? She's kind of a strong character. Yes. You know, I I gave an extra point for her being a legitimate, you know, Honey Rider we'll go back to in in Dr. No, I guess. She was awesome to look at. She's one of the top-looking Bond babes, but it's a terrible character. I mean, she's just basically getting led around by James Bond and and sort of the damsel in distress, you know, the whole movie. But... um, Pussy Galore is a is a very strong female character, and uh, Jill Masterson, who is played by Shirley Eaton, I'm sure you've mentioned that the show a bunch of times. Uh, she's just a really good looking woman. She's yeah. probably my favorite Bond. Uh, man, well, she's right up there with uh, with the first couple of Bond babes. Yeah. So, yeah, nine. Yes. Um. So gadgets and cars. Um, so I gave it an eight. I mean, again, the, the Aston Martin uh, is, you know, kind of the quint- quintessential Bond gadget. Uh, and really outside of that, everything else is just kind of ancillary. I mean, granted, the uh, the the homing beacon kind of played a huge role in the movie, uh, the, the little one and the big one. And just kind of seeing Q's lair for the first time uh, is good. But I, th- I think as the movie goes on or as the movies go on, there'll be a couple there that just have some really choice gadgets that work uh, really, you know, that work a little bit better in my book. But again, eight out of 10, still pretty solid. Yeah, I gave it an extra point. I gave it the nine just because of the classic nature of the gadgets and cars we got in this movie. You know, I gave an extra point, I guess, a little extra juice for the Aston Martin, which, have, as we've said, is like the classic Bond car and the, sure. you know, the shoe communicator and the oil slick and the smoke screen, all like real classic stuff that will be repeated and, and you know, uh, brought up and referenced for years to come. So the villain, um, I again, I gave uh, an eight to Gert Frobe's Auric Goldfinger. Again, one of the quintessential Bond villains. Um, I really like, like I said, the cat and mouse aspect to you know their interaction and just the whole uh no mr bond i expect you to die i mean of course that's that's about as classic as you can get yeah i went with a nine again um mostly for odd job i i I think that um goldfinger again is like a classic villain and he was a pretty good character probably in that seven or eight range but having that henchman you know, again, the classic henchman. Oddjob's pretty cool with his, you know, like we said, with the hat, and he's like super strong and and an imposing figure and stuff. But I think it kind of sets the tone for like the henchman now to come along after. Yeah. So next category is uh, music and the like, the opening credit scene, and I gave this a nine. Uh, I think for me, the only opening credit scene better in the entire franchise is Casino Royale. Um, this one to me is just top notch. I mean, when that music starts off with the horns blaring, um, and, and Shirley Bassey just, uh, you know, just belting out that song. I mean, it's, it's, again, it's just one of those 
you know, quintessential, you know, Bond theme song, the the Goldfinger theme song. And then just the whole thing with the credits where you got the woman in gold and, and the scenes from the movie being projected onto the uh, t- onto the body um, as as the credits roll by. I think it's just uh, just really, really well done, not cheesy. Um, and not not too over the top or, or overly animated or whatever. So I just to me this is just really top notch. Yeah, I did really like the scenes from the movie playing out on the woman's body. And and we've said you know they I guess a couple movies ago they started using a woman's body in the opening. Yeah, where they would project uh, images on it. This is the first time that I remember that they projected actually scenes from the movie right so it's almost like a little preview where you find yourself going oh i wonder what that big explosion was from or i wonder you know uh who's shooting at bond in that scene so that that's pretty cool and i did i like the cold open and i like the credits i didn't hate the music but i thought they went to the well like way too many times and it started to get a little annoying to me by the end of the movie you know with the horns and and that same uh hook you know um, I was I was probably in the eight range until that last time that I was like, oh, really again with the song? <laughs> um, so I went, <laughs> so I went with the seven. Fair enough. Uh, so story again, you and I both gave it a seven. I mean, I, again, I think you have to somewhat pay attention to kind of get what's really going on, which you know makes it to where it's not overly simplistic. Um, but again, at the end of it, it's just kind of like a heist, you know, it's just, it's just, we're going to irradiate a bunch of gold. So my gold is worth more than anybody else's gold. Um, but again, you know, it, it's not over the top and ridiculous where it's like, he's literally saving the world, um, from peril, which sometimes gets a little obnoxious or a little far fetched. I mean, this is this, this plot, you know, obviously it would cause an economic, uh, uh, problem, but not you know, literally the end of the world or, or causing somebody else to come and dominate the entire world. So, um, you know, better than average, I, I would say, but not, not, you know, in the greatest of, uh, of story plot and story and plot points, uh, of all the movies. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think, you know, our highest, I'm looking at our ratings for the first two movies and like our highest story rating is an eight and, and we're both given this one a seven. And I have a feeling when we get into the, middle numbers of movies that we're going to be thinking that these stories were a lot better. Absolutely. Um, so now on for the bonuses. Um, so by my count, he had, um, he slept with the, the woman in the very beginning, the, the, in, I guess it was <clears throat> in the, in the, the cold open. It was, it was heavily implied that the two of them, um, had something going, and then right. he slept with Pussy Galore twice. You know, once when they had their proverbial roll in the hay, and then of course at the very end, it, it's you know, pretty much implied that that's what's going on. Right, and Jill. Right. Oh, that's what it was. That was what it was. It was her. It wasn't the woman in the in the cold open. I'm sorry. It was it was uh, Jill Masterson that he he'd slept with. Yeah, that was actually kind of smooth. He yeah. said that he knew the best place to eat in town, and then it turns out they had like room service. Yes, and, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that so again, so three for that, and then uh, he had three drinks. So he had the the Dom Perignon with Joe Masterson. He had the mint julep with Goldfinger, and then on the plane, um, when he woke up, uh, the 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 stewardess brought him a drink. So that that's three there. 
Um, and then I call two points for acts of misogyny, where which is basically uh, our bonus for Bond behaving badly. Um, <laughs> yeah. And one of them was when he turns around with the woman and she gets knocked out with the blackjack. Which, yes. <laughs> which is definitely is funny, but not funny. Uh, I feel I feel bad for laughing. Um, just a little bit. Uh, and the second one is when the massage therapist is, he's, he's kind of getting the massage at the beginning of the movie and Felix comes up to him and he tells her, you know, it's time for her to leave. And he smacks her on the ass as she's walking away. Yes. Uh, Man talk. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Um, so that so that's so far the highest, uh, that's a pretty high bonus. I think for Marshall with love had an, had a nine. This one has an eight. Um, so given all, if you've been keeping track at home, um, with your scorecards, that gives Goldfinger a total of 90, which, um, again, uh, we've been slowly increasing. So Dr. No had 68 from Russia with love has 79 points and then Goldfinger has 90. So, um, you know, right away, I think Goldfinger is going to be a, going to be a hard one to beat as we move forward. Yeah, I think so. And, and I don't think. I could be wrong, but I don't think too many are going to fall in between these three either. Probably not. Yeah. I could see maybe another one topping Dr. Love. Uh, Dr. Love. <laughs> <laughs> I could see another one topping Dr. No, possibly. But, I, you know, I could see From Russia With Love being our number two Bond movie. I could see it. I don't, you know, I'm not sure, but I know where this is headed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, definitely. And one of the things I've been doing, if you go to the website um, and look at the actual article we post as to just getting it off the feed. So if you go to hhwlod.com and under podcasts, if you go to Shake and Not Stirred, um, I put up the article for each of these movies that kind of gives you a basic rundown of, um, you know, cast and crew um, and also gives us our point breakdown um, and what the bonuses mean and all that good stuff. So if you're if you're like I said, if you're playing along at home, you can you can kind of see. Uh, where we're at and keep track of this over time on the website. Very good. Yeah. So that about does it for this episode. And John, unless you have anything else. No, I look forward to Thunderball in a timely fashion. Yes. Now remember it's Thunderball, not Thunderballs. Right. Don't, <laughs> right. don't watch Thunderballs. That should be the next, uh, Mike Myers, Austin Powers movie, Thunderballs. Yes, and it was actually it's funny because Thunderball was actually supposed to be the second, the uh, the third movie, um, but that whole Kevin McClory um, litigation thing kind of filed things up. When we talk about Thunderball, we'll probably have a a pretty long discussion on that whole thing that caused uh, a big lawsuit that stretched out for uh, almost forty years at that <laughs> at this point. Um, wow, which makes it a pretty interesting. Um, it, it had a, it had a lot of impact on the Bond universe, including uh, spawning a movie called Never Say Never Again. So um, we'll definitely talk about that next time on Shaken Not Stirred. So thanks, everyone, for joining us. Um, Again, you can uh, check out this episode and all the episodes on not just Shaken Not Stirred, but all the other podcasts that we do on the network at hhwlod.com. You can also search Facebook for um, shake it for HHWLOD podcast network where we've got pages up for that and you can see everything that we we do up there um, so until next time again we will be talking about Thunderball this is John and Russ have a good one good night <laughs>